Hey, Andrew, how's the uh, intro coming for the uh, Halloween episode? Fine. Get a lot written today? Yes. Aw, oh, come on, Dodd. Don't be so grouchy. I'm not being grouchy. I just want to finish my work. Okay, I understand. I'll come back later on with oatmeal for you, and maybe we can record the podcast then. Adam, <clears throat> let me explain something to you. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me. And then it'll take me time to get back to where I was. Understand? Yeah. Fine. And we're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here and you hear me typing, or whether you don't hear me typing or whatever the fuck you hear me doing in here, when I'm in here, that means I'm working. That means you don't come in. Now, do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? Okay, jeez. Cut me with an axe, why don't you? Ladies and gentlemen, to the viewers cut. Yes, I have Jack Torrance with me here. He did survive. He is here with us now. He wants to talk some Stanley Kubrick, Shining, Stephen King. He's got lots to say. Andrew, how you doing? Here's Dottie. I'm good, Adam. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I, be, I, I called you Jack, and then I called you Andrew, then you called yourself Dodd, so you got a bunch of names. Oh, I don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> He's actually, he grew out his beard too, and he's kind of looking uh, a little bit like Jack Torrance. So uh, he loves, as we know with Andrew, he likes to play the Don't part for sure. tell people that. It's just that I haven't showered or cut my hair in a long time. <laughs> I thought this was a better excuse. <laughs> I like it, yeah. Hey, happy Halloween, Adams. Yes, happy Halloween. This is our, uh, we did this last year. We talked a little uh, Halloween, and uh, this Halloween we decided to talk a little bit Stephen King because uh, there's a lot of movies that uh, have been adapted from his source material and I don't know who originated this idea Andrew I don't know if it was me or if it was you I don't know but I know you have a lot to say so we came up with some questions and stuff what's your uh, you know kind of history with Stephen King and uh, the movies that you've seen and all that kind of stuff yeah well as a disclaimer I really am uh, not an expert um, just based on the amount of material that Stephen King has, both books and movies based on those books. I think just about every book he's written has been turned into a movie at some point or other. Um, so I, but, so I, I know the classics and you know the classics. So I think you and I will be talking pretty high level Stephen King here. I can't really talk about like, uh, Pet Cemetery 2 starting, starring Edward Furlong or anything like that. I can't, uh, I can't, I, I can't dive deep like that, but I'm happy to talk about the big movies and books. Well, I came to talk about Thinner, so I don't oh, know yeah, if, thinner. if you're prepared. That's great. To... <laughs> what a great TV movie. That was awesome. Well, you answered my first question, uh, kind of. Uh, so like, would you consider yourself a fan of Stephen King or do you not, like, do you think you haven't seen enough to consider yourself that? Oh, well, it's a tough question because the uh, the books are one thing and then the movies are another thing. Like if you don't like a movie, that's not necessarily, or if you do like a movie, it's not necessarily that you're a fan or not a fan of Stephen King, right? You might be more a fan of that filmmaker or the people who made that movie. Yeah. So I do uh, like his books and I haven't read nearly like n nothing close to all of them but um the w and i'm bad for books i have a really tough time getting into books but i've been able to sit to get myself through maybe three or four or five stephen king books uh which doesn't sound like a lot but it's it's more for me that's pretty good so uh, i think they're very accessible very readable if that's a word and uh conceptually there's some good and there's some bad which ones have you read? Uh, funnily enough, the ones I've read are also all ones I've seen like movies of almost. Uh, so I've read 
Misery. I've read The Shining. I've read Carrie. Um, Salem's Lot. And I got pretty far into Christine. And then I, and then oh, I, I kind of okay. got bored and stopped. Um, but I, and then I think I started one of the Dark Tower series as well. Um, there was a few I started and then and then couldn't finish. Well, you mentioned Carrie as one of the uh, one of the novels that you've read, and obviously I know you've seen the movie. And we're going to talk a little bit about Carrie now. So his first book and his first movie, and the only movie made in the seventies. I didn't even know that. When I was looking this up, he only made only one movie was adapted in the 70s, and that was Carrie, directed by Brian De Palma. And uh, I kind of want to start there with you. Uh, what are your thoughts on? Because I've never read the book. I've only I've seen both movies, the original and the remake. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the adaptation? Which one did you like better? And what are your what are your thoughts about the of the movie? It's just quickly first. Have you read any of the books? I realize I didn't ask you. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm not a big reader and, uh, I, I've never, I don't think I've even held a book in my hand <laughs> of, of Stephen King. It's a good thing you and I are talking about Stephen King then. <laughs> it's a couple, couple yeah. of... I've seen a lot of his movies okay. though. So I'm going to come at this more from the, the movie standpoint. Yeah. I did watch a few in preparation, yeah. so we'll be able to go back and forth for sure. I'm just kind of curious on the adaptation side for sure. Carrie. I, uh, I, I read, no, I saw the De Palma version long before I read the book. So I don't I don't know what brought me around to reading a book about a movie I'd already seen, but uh, upon reading the book, I was surprised at how faithful an adaptation the movie Carrie is of the book Carrie. Like there's some slight differences, like it describes both Carrie and the mom as being um, kind of like uh, larger individuals uh, described as the mom is described as overweight. Um, but, and then when you watch the movie, Sissy Spacek is obviously the opposite of that, quite thin. And so is Piper Laurie, the mom, but very superficial, right? Like who cares? Um, other than that, it was, I think pretty well beat for beat, uh, bang on. They, they, there was some re not the Chloe, uh, Grace Moretz remake, but there was a TV movie of Carrie. I oh, think. right. There was one. Yeah. Yes. And it. It, I think if I recall, it like advertised itself as like um, the, the truer adaptation of the book because there was a couple of things in the book that wasn't in the De Palma version, but like very minor. So it had no right to call itself that. But yeah, overall, a, a very good adaptation. And do you prefer the book or do you prefer the movie? I prefer the movie. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, my quick thoughts. So I, I got, I got to rewatch Carrie in preparation for this. I watched it with Jamie actually, and it kind of went down for me. I didn't love it. Uh, I love the, like, I, I can appreciate it for sure. There's a lot of good stuff in it, but it's very cheesy and the ending, like, it, it's a little boring too. I love like the, the sequence when at the prom is great when everything eventually happens, but it happens so fast and it's over. I, I kind of got Halloween vibes from it. And, uh, I feel like, uh, because I didn't watch Carrie when I was younger, I can't, I have no nostalgia or I can't appreciate it. Like I do a Halloween because Halloween's the same thing. It's cheesy. It's very dated. There's not a lot going on in it, but I just have a nostalgia, which I don't have for Carrie, but I, I didn't love it. We were both a little bored with it, but her performance is phenomenal. The mom is fantastic. The third act is 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 really good it's the it's the first two acts and john travolta i can't even watch him in that like the scene when he goes when they get a pig right it's pig's blood yeah. like that whole sequence is so it doesn't it doesn't age well at all and that those are just my thoughts on it and that i don't like the remake either the chloe grace moretz one too too way too much cgi um i'm surprised you didn't i'm surprised you didn't like it as much and i'm surprised you said it was boring because i always thought Carrie was pretty well paced. Like it's not long either, right? Isn't it under two hours? It's it's well paced. Yeah. I it just I wasn't. It's just it, I don't know what it was. Yeah. I I don't know. Um, but there's a lot of good stuff to it. There, there's a lot of like the, um, the whole thing with Carrie becoming a woman and the whole like again I don't the whole like uh, religious side to it. Like I I know there's a lot going over my head that I don't fully understand. I get there's a huge angle to that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't say I didn't like it. I just, I, I didn't, I didn't love it. It was just somewhere in the middle. I enjoyed it. I appreciate it, but there are many more Stephen King adaptations that I like more. 
So um, that's basically all I really have to say about Carrie. And the um, the other book that you read, The Shining, which was four years later. Did you have anything else you want to say about Carrie or do you want to jump into The Shining? I got lots to say about Carrie. I just... Uh, oh, well, sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. It's like the one I know the most. <laughs> um, oh, <laughs> I thought I sorry I thought it was gonna be The Shining. I wanted more time for The Shining, but by all means, let us know more about uh, your thoughts on Carrie. How many times have you seen it? I've probably seen Carrie maybe four or five times, maybe more. Oh wow! Um, and I just yeah, you're right. The ch- I, I I found your comment about it being cheesy, interesting, and it definitely is. But I think De Palma understood that like there needs to be a certain amount of camp for something like this. You know, if I don't, I didn't see the remake, the most recent remake, but I, I, I liked what he was doing with the camera. I liked, like he's, he's an interesting filmmaker, right? He does not just lock, lock off a shot. Like there was almost always camera moving movement. He liked that split diopter look, you know, the one where it's like something in the foreground and something in the background are both in focus. And it's got that weird line right in the middle that you can see the focus shift. Um, He uses that a lot in that movie. And, um, and I read articles that said Piper Laurie, who plays the mom, like it was De Palma who asked her to be that over the top, I think. And I think she was like, this has to be a comedy. Like, there's no way that this is going to be taken as a serious drama. So I think she thought she was doing something very tongue in cheek. And, um, so the movie needs to have that. Again, you're making a movie about a girl with telekinetic powers who you know goes crazy and has an over like a cartoonishly over religious uh, mother? I think you you need to keep it a little bit silly or know that it's in the realm of of a little bit silly uh, in order for it to work. And somehow that does make it scary. I think the ending is so scary. You know the part where um and I don't think a lot of movies are scary, but when Carrie comes home and all the candles are lit and she goes upstairs, yeah. I just love the framing of she turns on the bathroom light and through the wall you see the light hit the mom who's standing behind the door mm. but you you like when i was a kid i i did not notice the mom there at all and the camera doesn't point out that the mom is there the camera just moves into the bathroom and as it's going by you see that the mom is standing there and like you almost don't catch it at first and then you're like oh my god she's been there the whole time so i i just think that was brilliant and i think de palma was really sort of experimenting with some really cool stuff and that's probably why I, I appreciate that movie for what it is it's not just some cookie cutter movie that i expect the remake is it was like they gave it to an auteur director who did something unique with it yeah and that's interesting but you say that because you go back to the 70s you have the texas chainsaw massacre you have halloween you have carrie you have these very again Toby Hooper didn't do a lot after Texas Chainsaw but you have these really specific filmmakers that have a vision and like I said I do appreciate Carrie and the ending is great to me it saved the movie for me and it's totally terrifying I think the shots of her when she's got the blood on her at the dance is terrifying I just wanted more of it there's one sequence of her going out in the street and that's it I would have loved 10 more minutes in this because the whole movie's building this I just wanted a little bit more I guess but the performances save it the mom and her are both great in it and you're totally right about the remake like I said full of CGI cookie cutter simple performances aren't as good so totally you, you nailed it for that did you uh have you ever heard of or seen the sequel the rage carry two <laughs> no, never heard of it. <laughs> Came out when I was in uh, like in public school. It was like late 90s or something like that. And they brought back Amy Irving, who played Susan Snell, I think. was Whoever the friend, you know, the friend, the girl who's nice yeah. to Carrie. She, and, and she was mm-hmm. married to Spielberg, I think, at one point. Amy Irving. Look that up. Yeah, <laughs> oh, look man. that up. Or they were dating or something. Um, she comes back. And so it is like a straight direct sequel. And it's like Carrie has a uh, half sister or something who also has these tene- telekinetic abilities. <laughs> eh, it's, it's funny. It's a, I haven't seen it. But and it's it has nothing to do with, nothing to do with Stephen King. Like there's not a book. There, no. It's not like Dr. Sleep. No, okay. they no. just made a sequel to the movie. That's it. 
Yeah. <laughs> anyway, just nothing. I have nothing yeah. to say about it. Just curious if you'd seen it or not. <laughs> no, let's talk about that. For okay, a let me we'll, just we'll go watch it and then I'll come back and yeah. talk about it. <laughs> I think no, I think it's the same thing. Like a, a a girl who's in the '90s and is a bit of an outsider in like a '90s way. I think she's kind of goth or something like that, and she goes crazy at a party and kills her. Like it's the same. It's basically the same premise. I think again. Beautiful. Yeah, that's yeah, I love that people are are, are creative. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this actually works out really well. We're doing an episode on Stephen King and th- like the main movies we're talking about are his first two adaptations, <laughs> Carrie and the shining. And then we're barely going to talk about well, the rest are else. all crap. No, we'll so try. Why would we? <laughs> we'll, we'll try. There's, there's some gems for sure, but there's a lot to talk about the shining. And obviously a lot of people know that obviously Stephen King was not a fan of Stanley Kubrick's version of the shining. And I guess I'll start with the same way I started with Carrie. You said you read the book and you watched the movie. Um, what were your thoughts on the novel and which one do you prefer before we start talking about the movie? Shining? Is that what we're talking about? Ronda Shining? Yeah. Oh, oh man. Oh, very interesting. Well, I can't answer, but what I'll say is that... Um, sorry, give me a sec to remember how this went. I think Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick each told the story a little bit differently about their interaction. I think Stephen King famously said the only interaction they had was Stanley Kubrick called him up and said, do you believe in God or something? And and that was their whole conversation. I think Kubrick said that he and King talked a little bit more and was more interested in Jack's redemption. So interestingly enough, without getting too into it, the book, I think, has more sympathy for Jack than the movie does, um, which I thought was really interesting reading the book. So I was very familiar with the movie already. And aside from the more superficial differences, that seemed to be the biggest one for me is that Jack's more of a victim in the story. So I don't now, know. That's a bit more interesting as a, I don't know. Adam, I can't tell you. Obviously, I know the movie really well, so I'll just say movie. Yeah, so is it the same with Carrie? You saw the movie first, then read the book? Correct. I, I haven't read any. I've seen all. Any Stephen King movie I've seen, I saw the movie first and then read the book. Okay. Yeah, to piggyback on what you said, I heard the same story that he called him up and uh, Stanley Kubrick called him up and asked him if he believed in God. And Stephen King said yes. And Stanley Kubrick said, I thought so. That's what right. I heard. Yeah. <laughs> and then hung it yeah. up. And what I've heard about, from, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this, because I don't remember where I heard this from. I think we may have talked about it after we watched Dr. Sleep, um, is that Stephen King's biggest gripe with the movie is that he designed it more as hot and fire, and with the, the Stanley Kubrick version, it's very cold, it's very ice. You know what I mean? So it, there's kind of a fire versus ice thing where I believe the book ends with the hotel in, in flames, yeah. And then obviously Stanley Kubrick changed it and it's very snowy and he ends up, spoiler alert, he's frozen at the end. And he said that was his biggest thing. And that goes along with what you were saying about redemption for Jack where Stanley Kubrick didn't want any of that. Um, so yeah, I want to get your thoughts because we, I mean, we went to film school for a year and a half. Obviously we've talked about The Shining a lot, um, but I've never really had an in-depth conversation with you about The Shining. So I'm curious what are your thoughts? What do you like about it? What stands out for you? You know, just Cole's notes and anything specific you want to talk. It doesn't have to be too long, but I'm just curious. You know, it's funny. I think as is true of most people of my generation, my introduction to The Shining was The Simpsons' Treehouse of Horror. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I saw the no TV and no beer make Homer something something before I ever saw The Shining. And again, <laughs> retroactively was like, oh, that's where that's from. Um, uh, the shining. Well, I, I can't talk too, too much because all my ideas basically come from other people. This is a movie that's heavily, heavily, heavily analyzed on the internet. There's that documentary room two, three, seven, which has uh, a a whole panel of people who uh, have theories about the movie. And is it, you know, it was, did, did Kubrick fake the moon landing? And is there evidence for that in there? And is, is it about, Native American genocide and, and all ha- what have you. So I, I'm far from the expert to go into that. And there's there's far more intelligent people who have come up with those ideas out there if people want to go find them. Rob Ager, of course, is sort of, I think, the father of, of that deep dive analysis of Kubrick and The Shining. 
I like it as uh, I do like what Kubrick did in the sense that it's not a story about ghosts and the supernatural in Kubrick's version. It's very much a story about family abuse and, uh, and alcoholism and which is, I think of a fine adaptation. I don't think an adaptation of a book needs to keep, uh, things beat for beat. I don't think it even needs to keep all the same themes. If you have a story that you think you could infuse a different thematic, uh, um, lesson into it, then, then, then that, that's fine. So I like what I didn't write it. I'm not Stephen King. I'm sure he has his reasons to feel the way he does, but I, I'm, I think it's interesting to take a concept and go, ah, but there's, a, there's another story in there that I want to tell that maybe wasn't in the book. So now I'm going to tell this story just about family abuse and, and the cyclical repetitive nature of abuse. Um, I think is is the underlying theme of Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah, and I, I actually was just thinking that before you said it about adaptations and like in many ways, ad- film and and books they don't work the same. You can't you can't a hundred percent adapt. I, I, again, I don't know of an ad- adaptation out that that's a hundred percent, but I think that's. I think people love the conflict with the whole b- behind the scenes of The Shining. Stephen King didn't like it. I think that kind of stuff sells. But I just I, I agree with you. I like the idea of someone coming in and having a different vision and doing something different while um, following maybe the blueprint. I guess because again, I've never read the book. Like I'm assuming the beats are relatively similar in the book. Yeah. He just kind of Kubrick. Because again, Kubrick, he did he a lot of his work is ad- adaptations, right? Or is a lot of his stuff original? Uh, no, no. So Clockwork Orange obviously was a book. Um, yeah. Uh, 2001 was being written as a book at the same time that he was writing the screenplay. So he always writes his screenplay, but you're right. It's usually based off of yeah. someone else's material. Usually. Yeah. So that's what I, again, like I was introduced to The Shining later. I didn't watch it when I was younger. And it's the same thing for me where like it, it, it it's terrifying and i don't know how scary the book i've heard people say that the book is terrifying and again to me i don't i can't comprehend that being scared from a book i I can't speak for you i I don't know if you can get scared reading a book but i I don't get scared easily but the movie is chilling and there's a lot of good stuff in it so obviously stanley kubrick saw something in the book um but yeah, I'm totally with you. Like I've only seen it a handful of times, but I love it. The music's great. It, it, like the the cinematography, the performances, everything is top notch. I have a question for you. Oh, do you? Uh, part A of this question is: Do you actually get scared in movies? Like sometimes you watch a movie and one can acknowledge, like, "Ooh, this is scary," but not actually be like, "Oh, like like scared." So, do you tend to get scared or jump in movies? And if so, does The Shining uh, do that for you? Okay, so the traditional jump scare nowadays and in modern times never nine, 99% of the time won't scare me. Sometimes it may, but so many so many scares are predictable nowadays. You know it's coming when it gets quiet. You know it's coming. Things that get me are a lot of older movies. And again, I, I'm not a jump out of my seat. I'm tense. I like getting tense and not knowing what's going on. A great example is The Ring from 2002. That is the last movie I remember that terrified me. And, you know, thought about it later. And that's what I mean. If you have a lasting, if it gives you like a fear beyond watching the movie, I think it did its job. It's like planning something in your mind. And I go back to Jaws when I was a kid, Halloween when I was a kid. Those, those scared me for sure. Again, you're, you're conscious when you go in the water and Halloween walking the streets at night because Michael Myers there. So a lot of older movies get me with that. The Shining is just like, it's it's tense it's not oh my god like i don't think the shining has a lot of like ah moments it's more like holy like what is jack gonna do it's in it's like theater of the mind it's all in your mind you don't know what he's gonna do you don't know what he's thinking that kind of stuff terrifies me characters scare me more than actual like again going back to the ring uh selena or whatever her name is i don't remember her name the girl with the long hair she scared me not so much what they were doing, what is going on in this girl's mind. That gets so, so to answer part A of your question, not a lot, but if you can get in my mind and play around and fuck with me and you'll you'll get me for sure. But very rare. Yeah, I 
I agree that The Shining is is tense and and atmospheric, yes. right? It creates an unsettling atmosphere, right? Right, basically, right from the get go, and that's it's not so much scary as it is just like creepy the whole movie. Um, yeah. yeah, the only part that I think is kind of scary is uh, like Danny running down the hall. He's hiding in like a pantry, a little thing, and then yeah. he runs out, and Jack starts chasing him, and we just get sort of a long hallway shot where it's like you feel like you're being chased a little bit but other than that yeah. i like it and I, I i agree it's creepy and tense but i don't i also don't really find it scary maybe if we saw it in the theater when it came out that would have been a different story oh that movies are scarier in the theater if i think for some reason oh for sure yeah i'd like add anything to the theater it bumps it up for yeah. sure like 100 yeah. percent. was that your only question yeah that's it. I just didn't know if you actually found it scary or not. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just tense. Like, again, I think about, like, older movies did it so much better. The thing, the scene I think of in The Shining is when he, leading up to the big bat scene, you know, the Wendy, that thing. But it's the one long, wide shot. It's just slowly going in, and then Jack slowly walks into frame. And, like, they, older, the older movies lingered on things, and they just put you in this room, and they it's almost like they're grabbing you and putting you in the room and just say, sit here and watch this. Mm-hmm. You can't leave. Yeah. That's what I like. A lot of older movies do that. Carrie did it. You like, Again, the exact example you said in Carrie when she goes upstairs, I think she's going to take a bath. Same thing. It's just like you're here in this moment. No crazy cuts, not CGI, all this. You're just here. What the hell is going on? Halloween did it very well. These older movies really, really did it. And like lower budget movies. Like you don't need a lot of money to be like, you know. So that's kind of where I'm at. I think uh, you're absolutely right. We talked about this a little bit back in season one in our like horror horror movie episode where I think right. uh, Hitchcock really set the bar and I think that the one sort of jump scare in The Shining, which is spoilers when uh, Mr. Turkle, is that his name? Scatman Crothers character? Scatman yeah. Crothers? When he gets axed. Um, and, I, and I think it's, uh, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's a series of really wide, quiet, mm-hmm. slow shots of him walking around. And we kind of think maybe something's going to happen, but we don't know from where or from when. And to me, that's, that's the overhead stairway shot in Psycho with Arbogast going up the stairs. And it's the same thing. Overhead shot, really quiet. We've had a lot of long open shots. And then Mother comes out of the hallway all of a sudden whee, whee, and stabs him. To me, it's like it follows the same formula of the draw you in, get you sort of complacent but tense, and then something pops out. Um, so it, I just thought that was a funny comparison that even – a master like Kubrick, I think, was borrowing from Hitchcock using that technique you described. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. Do you have anything else to say about The Shining? Uh, would you? What, are we going to talk about Doctor Sleep too? <laughs> <laughs> we both. I don't think liked it. I don't think. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> it was. It was very unmemorable. Uh, yeah. Actually, you know what? Yeah. Now that I think about it, this, this will be good. So yes, Dodd and I both saw with our friend Theron as well, who was on this podcast as well. Um, we went and saw it in the theater. And I think the one thing that kind of stems from what we've already talked about is seeing kind of in the same universe, you know, it's a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining and full of CGI, full of unrealistic, over the top scares some it had some elements that were fine. I would I would never say the movie's trash, but it just it really show it just bumps up the the original Stanley Kubrick Shining even more because they did it easier, cheaper, and better because they just they didn't rely on an overuse of ridiculous stuff like the ending gets crazy with all the stuff that's going on. And uh, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I like uh, Ewan McGregor. I think he was fine in it. He wasn't great. He wasn't bad, whatever. Um, And I just wasn't, I didn't need a sequel to that story. It just didn't, it was just kind of like, whatever. I don't know. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I I agree. And parts of me got kind of excited because of that. Like, I'm still a victim of the nostalgia thing, you know? So like going back to the Overlook and hearing the Shining theme again kind of got me a bit pumped up. Um, But I agree that like, I didn't, I didn't like what they did, like all the same ghosts return, you know, it's like the return of the twins and return of the guy who says nice party <laughs> and the return of the, I'm surprised the bear cost or the dog costume guy wasn't there, whatever it is. 
Um, but, <laughs> but I did really like the potential there of continuing Danny's story. And like I said earlier, if the shining is a movie about a history of violence and abuse and, and how that gets passed down generally generationally, then this was a nice story about the son coming to terms with the abusive father and the son getting over his own demons and his own alcoholism. I just thought it was a poor choice to have Danny sort of beat his alcoholism halfway through this story. You know, like that should have been the climax of this movie was him turning down the drink, him turning down his father, him saying, I'm not going to become like you, dad. That should have been what happened at the Overlook. He needed to go back to the Overlook, to the spot of where his trauma took place in order to face his demon in the form of his father. Like that's really good storytelling stuff. For some reason, I just thought it got overly convoluted and they tried to introduce new aspects to it while constantly while simultaneously jam in like a sequel to the shining and we had to have the maze and we had to have the the stairs and we had to have the river of blood and we have to have the axe through the door if we didn't have to have all that stuff and it was less of like a hey look here's some stuff from the shining then i think the i think you could have had a great story there a great great story mm-hmm. would have been tough to make a sequel to a kubrick movie stylistically but story-wise i think that was ripe for uh uh, something uh, pretty uh, a pretty worthy successor well and they're and they're having that same problem right now with with we were talking about this before we went on halloween because these two new halloween movies uh, are trying to replicate the style of the original halloween from 1978 and you can't do Retired. it there's no it, it doesn't it doesn't work as hard to try and again these Halloween movies have gotten a few things right in my opinion but they're not getting anything else and they they just they don't work they and again Halloween's negating a shitload of sequels but it just it doesn't work they're just you di- filmmakers are making movies differently now than they are than they were then yeah. and it just doesn't it it doesn't line up I don't know but yeah Doctor Sleep wasn't terrible I don't know what the book is like I, I, have you heard is the book good. Uh, it obviously sold enough copies that Warner Brothers said, hey, we can make a sequel to The Shining. <laughs> and kudos to them for trying to both make a, an adaptation of that book and a sequel to The Shining simultaneously. Maybe that's what the movie gets wrong, but I, I think they did a serviceable job of somehow making it both. You know what I mean? Yeah. Considering the, yeah, considering sure. the Shining book ends differently than the movie does, they, they figured it out somehow. So anyway, forgettable, but good good for them <laughs> <laughs> okay moving on uh so i want to stick in the 80s here quickly because there like, I, I watched a few movies and i have a few things i want to say and i don't know if you've seen them so in one year cujo the dead zone and christine all came out <laughs> 1983 yeah. have you seen any of these all of these which ones of those have you seen uh... I keep meaning to see Christine because I keep wanting to do a John Carpenter marathon, so that would knock off both a Stephen King and a John Carpenter entry. So, but I have seen out of those three, just Cujo. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. So that's good actually, because I, I had a few things I wanted to say about Cujo. I didn't like the Dead Zone. I, Christopher Walken was was fine in it. Um, Christine's very good. I will 100% watch it with you. I love Christine. I love most of John Carpenter, um, but Cujo was a movie I was very impressed with. How much do you remember? How, like, I don't know how long I, since you've seen it. Like, are you familiar? I remember D. Wallace from E.T. and Danny Pintaro from Who's the Boss in the back of a car and the dog is <laughs> <laughs> jumping on the car and that's all I remember. <laughs> it's, to me, it's perfect. It's this very simple story. It's a real dog, which is great. It's not some CGI dog. It's an actual dog that's terrifying. It's a simple story. Like I said, they eventually get stuck in a car and this dog with rabies is attacking them. But... The character stuff was great. There's 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 turmoil going on in the relationship, and I, an interesting thing that I thought w- that they did with it was the kid wants his dad. He's not leaning on his mother, and in this, and she's like, spoiler alert, she's having an affair. And there's a lot of good character stuff in it that I wasn't prepared for. I'm like, this is great. Like, there's a scene when they're in the car and the little boy's yelling out for his dad, and, and then Dee Wallace has a great moment where she just screams, "Okay, I'll get your dad. I'll get your dad." But she's got to get him out of this situation. And I think for the 80s, it's kind of, you know, a little unique. And I, I thought it was great. And uh, practical effects and 
it was just a lot of fun. I thought it was a really good. I, I don't know anything about the book. I don't know if you've no, read the book, I but know. I was thoroughly impressed with Cujo. I thought it was a really good, simple '80s movie. Um, what do you remember from it? And do you have anything to say about the dog? I just have the dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Wait, it was Beethoven. I saw. Never mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, no, I have mostly just questions for you. So, it, I, from what I recall, yeah, the away. mom sort of becomes the hero of this story, right? Like she's the one that has to protect yes. the boy. Yeah. So is it kind of like yes. he wants his dad, but at the end he, she, she like he has to realize like mom's just as strong as as dad is, or maybe even stronger. Yes, yeah. that you you nailed it. So basically, the the movie begins. She's having an affair with someone. Their relationship is is on the rocks. We don't know what's happening. He leaves town. The the boy is very attached to his dad. And then in this moment, they're trapped together. And that's just kind of what's going on with them in the car where I, it's not set. There's no cheesy lines where I, dad could come and kill the dog. It's not like that. It's just it's surface level. It's just we know it's there and she doesn't she's panicking. It's just a great performance again. Like I love her. She's in a she's in a couple horror movies. Um, but it's, it's just the stuff with the dog too. Like it's terrifying because it's a real dog doing like all my filmmaking head is like, there are people on set setting all this stuff up with the dog. There's a dog wrangler. They're trying, they're figuring out how to shoot this. And I love all that. I think that works. It's better than just, there's going to be a dog there in post. Just act scared. Uh, this dog's actually throwing itself against the window. Like it's Mm. great. Mm. Totally worth a rewatch. And it's not like a demonic dog. The dog's not possessed by anything. It's just a big dog that has I don't know what it's like in the book. I have no idea. But in the movie, he gets bit by a bat, I believe. He's chasing a bunny, and then a bat bites him. I think that's what Damn bats. Jeez, they're just (laughs) ruining everything. Um, but yeah, so definitely give Cujo a rewatch. I will totally do a John Carpenter marathon with you. Christine's great. The music's all, like, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then again, in the eighties, just what well, children of the corn Firestarter, <laughs> stand by me, the running man, and then pet cemetery, which I also watched. Have you seen any of those? Do you have any uh, thoughts on only clips of all of those things? So obviously Drew yeah. Barrymore and George C. Scott and Firestarter. I've seen parts of that, but I, it didn't mm-hmm. hold my interest at all. Uh, yeah. Pet Cemetery, I know, has Herman Munster in it. Fred Gwynn, I think, is the is the old guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's no, I don't know. I don't even remember the other. Why? Why so many in the eighties? Why did it take off so much in the eighties? Did everyone just go Stephen King I crazy, have, or what happened? I have no idea. Like Maximum Overdrive, oh, which I think did he direct? Yes, and if he directed the marketing it. material famously had him in the trailer being like, "If you want something done right, do it yourself." And then the movie's uh, like crap, right? Isn't it just awful? <laughs> what about? Um, I don't think you said it. Uh, the body. Did you read the body? Stand by me. I don't remember if you said no, that. No. Okay, you haven't. Have you seen the movie? No. Oh, you haven't seen Stamp? Oh, no. man. Stamp by me is great. Yeah, I should. I know. I'm ashamed. Rob Reiner. Yeah. Uh, who are the, who are the yeah. four? Uh, 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 Will Wesley Wheaton, who you know yeah. from yeah. Star Trek, yes. Uh, Jerry O'Connell. Yeah. Uh, R- River Phoenix. Oh, yeah, of course. And um, uh, what's his face? Corey Feldman. Yes. Okay, yeah. Corey Feldman's in everything in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's at conventions um, in Toronto. Yes. Yeah. He's a great guy. I got to shake his hand. Um, okay. So I want to shift to the nineties now. Cause I think this, sh- there's an interesting shift to his material in the nineties. And I'm just going to name off a few movies and we can talk about any ones you want. Uh, misery, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, the Shawshank redemption, Dolores Claiborne, um, the green mile at the end of nineties. So a little bit of a shift. Uh, like, there's also some other stuff too. I like thinner. I skimmed through that. The Mangler, Needful Things. I don't know any of these ones, but um, different, very, very character-driven stories. Like Misery specifically. I know you said you read Misery. Um, how many times have you seen the movie? And again, which one do you prefer, Booker, Booker movie? Ooh, yeah. Again, that's tough. So uh, Misery is another very faithful adaptation. I think. Again, some obviously some differences, but somewhat superficial. If she kills more people in the book than she does in the movie, I think. A, a, co- oh, I didn't a, know that. A, a, a younger cop shows up at the house to save uh what's his name i don't remember the character's name 
James Conn. Yeah, but what's his name? I forget. Any, I don't know. Anyway, and she runs that cop over with a lawnmower. Um, it's just <laughs> very Stephen King-esque, I think. Um, so a great adaptation, but again, got to go with the movie, I think. I think I like a more compact story, and that's what a movie has to deliver. A book can go into more depth and more detail, but when you have a tight, good movie, then you end up reading a book and kind of going, yeah, I can see why they why they cut that out so i'm a big i'm a big fan of that movie speaking of rob reiner yes and speaking of our points with the shining in regards to tense and atmosphere the build-up to the big whatever it's called knocking his feet off i think it has like a hobbling when you do that to someone yes that whole sequence performances fantastic like jane what I like about it is I'm a, I'm not a, I'm not super familiar with James Conn's filmography before, but I'm pretty sure he's a tough macho guy. He's probably fighting and kicking ass in some movies. I know he's in The Godfather and all that. Um, he's just Sonny Corleone in every vulner- movie he's in. <laughs> <laughs> very vulnerable. He's tied up. He can't do anything. And then this woman who he has no idea is terrifying, and it builds up, builds up, builds up, and then that happens, and it's it's terrifying. Yeah. Again, not your jump, oh my god, ah, moment. It's like, holy fuck, this woman is terrifying. And I think Annie Wilkes, who is uh, Kathy Bates' character in, in Misery, and Jack Torrance, I think share a lot of the same effectiveness in the same that it's, these are both disturbed for whatever reason, or, or but, but angrily abusive people that you're stuck with. And so I think mm-hmm. anybody who grew, grew up or was in or just experienced in any way an abusive relationship. I think that's why these types of characters really resonate. Or even if it wasn't abusive, but even if you just had an angry person in your life or a bit of an unpredictable person in your life or somebody who was just a bit scary in your life, I think Stephen King is really good at occasionally tapping into that and being like, because you watch Annie Wilkes sort of, you don't know what to do around her, right? And that's what he's, he's great at creating that like, what can I say? Like I, whatever I say might set her off. Same thing. You know, you and I reenacted that little monologue at the beginning of the same thing with Jack Torrance, right? She's just like, I'll bring you a sandwich. And he's like, don't fucking bring me, you know, that sets him off. So that I, I, he's, I don't know Stephen King's background, but that's where I think a a good filmmaker can really uh, get into that and explore that and, and make something really effective. Um, yeah, that's it. I guess that's that's the whole point I guess I was trying to get to. And I think Kathy Bates, did she win an Oscar for that or Dolores Claiborne? I think. She won it for Misery. For Misery, yeah. And that put her on the map, right? Have you seen Dolores Claiborne? No, no. Okay, so that is, that is my number one Stephen King recommendation, more so than Christine. Watch Dolores Claiborne. It's, she's arguably better yeah. in this. I mean, I know she won the Oscar for Misery. She's great. This is pure character. This is not your typical Stephen King story. It's all about trauma. The daughter comes back to her hometown. There's stuff. I won't spoil anything for you. Please, I'll watch it with you. If we set up a movie night, I would totally watch it with you again. It's one of my favorites. I was going to mention at the end, but I'll just say it now. I was going to mention a few underrated movies. Dolores Claiborne. Nobody talks about it. So good. I one re- of I I would pro- yeah I'd probably put it in my top. I remember five, it coming which out. We'll get to at the end. And I remember it co- and my mom really yeah. likes it, but no, that you're right. It's gone into obscurity. So okay, great, good. Glad yes. you mentioned that. I will check that out. Now, while we're in the '90s too, I just want to quickly. I don't know. I know you've seen Shawshank. Have you seen The Green Mile? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so this I, I've had this not so much a debate, but just back and forth because they're very similar. Which movie do you prefer? Because I think they're both great movies. But do you have a preference between the two of them? I thought about this in preparation for this episode. And uh, without thinking about it too much, I found my mind landing on The Green Mile, which uh, might be surprising because everyone says Shawshank's like the best movie ever made. But... uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's because it is, Dad. I'm wrong again. Um, (laughs) But I like the... I like, I guess, more the, the magic of the green mile then maybe mm-hmm. it's got a bit of that not supernatural but a bit of a fantasy element to it i don't even know if that's the right word fantasy but there's something otherworldly going on there and uh, uh i think that appeals to me more than just the straight drama of 
of Shawshank. But Shawshank is is obviously very very good as well. I think I've like overseen it, you know, and there's parodies of it and it, you know Family Guy and <laughs> yeah. But how about you? I like yeah. See, I'm... I like Green Mile, but what do you like? So I'm Shawshank, but the only reason why, and it's 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 by a hair, is just the length. I really think you could trim Green Mile down a bit. It is a long watch. Yeah. There is a little bit of meat that you could definitely cut off. And if you trim that movie down, if it was a little bit better paced, I'd probably pick the Green Mile. Like, it's close. It's an underrated Tom Hanks performance. Yeah. He's fantastic. The whole cast, Sam Rockwell, isn't yeah. it? He's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Michael uh, Clark Duncan, may he rest in peace. He's fantastic. And I, I've i cried in a few movies, and the Green Mile gets me almost every Which time. Which part? At the end. I won't. The the end when he yeah, okay. yeah, okay. <laughs> when yeah when he steps on on uh, what's the what's the most Mr. Name? Jingles, <laughs> Mr. Jingles, Mr. Jingles. Yeah, it's terrifying. I, I love I love rats. Or, uh, <laughs> well, I, there's a lot of sad parts in that movie. So I yes, no, no, I, that's true. That the ending like when uh, we realize that oh, Tom Hanks is going to do this and he goes up and shakes his hand one last time. I think it's it's and then Tom Hanks's performance is great because he can't show. His uh, emotion, so he's standing away from the crowd, and he just starts crying in the lights. Like, it's just beautifully... Like, Frank Darabont is such a good filmmaker. Um, But, um, yeah, those movies are both great, neck and neck. But I'd give the slight edge to Shawshank. I think, uh, you know, horror was so popular in the 80s, you know? Especially, like, cheesy horror movies that I think Stephen King was like just like a perfect opportunity for filmmakers to be like, let's just keep mining Stephen King's material. Let's just keep making the next cheesy horror movie. Um, but in the 90s, we got a little bit tired of that. Horror was almost dead in the 90s before Scream revived it. So I think that's why maybe Stephen King needed to focus on drama or at least the filmmakers needed to focus on more dramatic Stephen King work. Because people liked that in the 90s, right? We wanted hard-hitting, realistic dramas. Uh, we had fried green tomatoes and we had uh uh, lots of other stuff (laughs) 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 silence of the braveheart and titanic yeah (laughs) and we had more it was more spies and stuff you know clear and present danger we had and i think people were wanting something a bit more the fugitive i don't know something with a bit more uh, uh prestige to it Maybe for lack of a better word, less cheesy and, and more serious. For sure, I totally totally agree with you. And I, I, again, like some of my favorites are in the '90s for sure. I like again, it just goes along with the everything I've been saying with every other movie characters. You know, he, Stephen King does have the ability to create some interesting characters, and then on top of that, these filmmakers that come in do have the ability to enhance that. And you know, it's good on paper, and sometimes they make it greater. Sometimes, obviously, vice versa. Um, I wanted to quickly go to another movie that you and I saw in the theater, and it's kind of, we're going to jump to to modern times now. So, as we know, It has been brought to the big screen again with It Chapter 1 and It Chapter 2, and as we all know, there was a 90s television show or miniseries or whatever it was called. And I'm just curious, because we both kind of walked away the same with the same kind of thoughts with It, do you think Stephen King adaptations can continue to work like today in modern times? Do you think like, again, this word, some of this stuff dates back to the seventies and eighties. Do you think it could still work? And what were your overall thoughts on how it was brought to the screen? Yeah. You and I both agreed about it. Uh, probably could have been scarier than what it was. Look, I just don't think anybody knows how to do anything scary these days. I mean, the, the, the days of classic John Carpenter, classic, I mean, Wes Craven's passed away. Um, uh, even even some other stuff like that's really scary that isn't as popular in North America, like Italian horror, like Dario Argento type stuff. I mean, George Romero back in his heyday. We just not, we're just not getting that anymore. Um, you used to have De Palma doing a scary movie or you had, um, you know, Roman Polanski doing rosemary's baby or something like that like talented people who knew how to create tension it's just not happening anymore the director of the it movies with andy machetti or something like that i don't know his name is that him do you know i don't know the name it sounds right yeah uh you know they've got good production design the design of pennywise was good the performance was good but none none of the direction was was scary at all so 
I guess kids today have a very different definition of what is scary than maybe we did from from our day. Um, but no, I think I think Stephen King's done. Like we we thought there would be a renaissance thanks to it, which is really just thanks to Stranger Things. Um, but when it part two wasn't as popular and the Pet Cemetery remake wasn't as popular, I think I think the Stephen King renaissance is is already come and gone. Yeah, it really kind of highlighted that perfectly because they relied on overuse of CGI for the scares. And you brought it up. Bill Skarsgård was a great casting choice. The makeup and everything on him was great. And scenes when it was just him and his performance, it was the most tense and scary. And then scenes were actually ruined with cgi and they would do this stupid Wah! thing where the where the where it, it runs at the camera and it just making people jump because it's just jarring but it's not actually tense the opening scene is terrifying up until the cgi mouth comes out and bites georgie's arm off like it's yeah. like his performance was great and that really highlighted for me that the classic horror days are done there's probably a few filmmakers out there that can still do it but most of the stuff is run of the mill, you know, let's make a quick buck. We know we can get young people in and get them in the in the seats and just throw a bunch of jump scares at them and we'll make millions of dollars. Cause I don't think filmmakers back then cared. I don't think Brian De Palma cared about making money. I don't think John Carpenter made cared about making money. Right. And I think that might be a big difference now. And, you know, just money and pe and you have more time to make movies. You have more editing that you can do and CGI can change a lot of things. So I just think it's just different. And I don't know if the, the Stephen King style will work. I think I'm in the same camp as you because I remember when it chapter two came out, we weren't even that excited to go see. And that's disappointing. We should have been there opening weekend and been excited to go see the, the big, the big finale. And we're like, I still, I still haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> the spider's back, baby. Good. I want, that's what I want to see in Mike's creepy clown movies, a big spider. <laughs> <laughs> now did you ever see the tv movie no because it the the recent the 2017 it or whatever year it was was so popular i saw a lot of videos analyzing the the tim curry 90s one but i have so I've, i feel like i've seen a lot of clips of it but no i haven't seen it but from what i've seen it's terrible like 90s cheese <laughs> like cr cringeworthy stuff um and uh would you ever read the book i know it's a long one no only only because again of, of what i've heard and there's a cosmic turtle and i i just don't know i, I don't think i don't think <laughs> there's an orgy yeah there's an orgy yeah yeah well, it's I really easy yeah. I think read it stephen king that. was doing a lot of drugs <laughs> yeah cocaine's a hell of a drug and uh <laughs> so no because it's so big absolutely not no but my, but my grandfather's a big not the one that passed away obviously but another one i have that is, he's a big stephen king reader and he has a lot of stephen king books and he he speaks to um how you know the original um cinematic universe was like stephen king that all of his books re often reference characters in other books so stephen mm. king was very big on interconnecting his universe and and that was something that I, i'd heard about was really good. and i noticed it too there's a reference to the overlook hotel and misery and uh, a few other things like that. So I don't know. Maybe I should give it a go. There's, there's a lot of books that haven't been made movies yet, but I feel like the big ones, I, I, uh, I've i read pretty well all that I'm interested in, I think. How about, I looked up. You're not a reader, so you're not going to... No, I, I and again, I don't. I'm not a reader, and I don't think it would be at the top of my list to to <laughs> to get it to go after a reading. I, I I don't know how 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 long it is, but I've heard it's insanely long. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wrote down here a few things that are in the works and I, just to, you know, get us bummed, apparently a Christine remake is in the work in the, in the works. And I have no idea what they're going to do. I feel like it's going to be a CGI car and, um, <laughs> they're, they already filmed a Firestarter remake. Zac Efron's in it. Um, what? yeah, that was, I, I think it was that. filmed in Canada. I think it was filmed here in Canada. Was Zac Efron as the Drew Barrymore character? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think the dad, I don't know. Oh my gosh. Um, 
The Running Man is getting remade. Salem's Lot, I think, is getting a movie. And I think James Wan is directing one. James Wan's the big horror director right now. I think the Tommy Knockers, if I said that oh, right. Yeah, okay. I think it's, it's coming down the pipe. So great movies to either get ruined or maybe they'll be good. I don't know. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, feel like if they didn't work the first go around, they're probably not going to work now. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, again, I think maybe Firestarter, because I didn't like it. It, it didn't age very well. I, I was bored. So maybe that'll be better. Zach Efron makes everything better. So <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to end with, uh, you know, I'm famous for making top, you know, five, top ten lists. And uh, I was curious if you compiled a top five favorite Stephen King movies. You can also give me books. I know, I know you've only read a few, but I'm um, just curious what's at the top of your list. Yeah, so uh, I I tried watching Salem's Lot last night in preparation for this, and it was made as and so it's from the seventies too. I think it was seventy eight or so, um, but it was like a TV movie, I think. Oh, okay, that's why I didn't get it on my list. Yeah, so I think it came out in probably like two parts in the seventies, and therefore when put together, it's like a three and a half hour movie. So I totally fell asleep. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> It didn't even get to the scary part. I think a scary part made a loud noise and woke me up. But I, I really want to like Salem's Lot. So maybe if I ever get through watching it one day, it'll be on my list. But no, my top five as they stand, pretty popular movies. Nothing really too in-depth here. Number five, Shawshank Redemption. Number four, The Green Mile. Number three, this might be surprising to you, The Shining. Okay. I like analyzing it, but there's other movies I like watching better. So number two, Misery, and number one is Carrie. Interesting. So uh, our list has four of the same, so this (laughs) is not exciting. Uh Um, I go five, Dolores Claiborne, uh, four, Misery, three, The Shining, so we have it in the same spot, Uh, two, The Green Mile, and one, uh, Shawshank Redemption. So (laughs) all the same movies. (laughs) I thought you said Dolores Claiborne was your favorite. No, no, no. I didn't say it was my favorite. I said oh. I loved it. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no. I, I was impressed with it. I only had seen it. Th- I mean, again, if I watch it again a second time, it could work its way up the list. I've only seen it the one time. Yeah. But um, no, it was, it was great. And I also wanted to quickly mention, I, I didn't talk about this once. Did you ever see The Mist? No, but I've, I've, I know the ending. <laughs> Yes. Well, it's Frank Darabont who did The Green Mile and did Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. It's an interesting one. Again, I would, I would definitely, it's definitely worth a rewatch. I do like it. There's a few things that hold it back. It's not a perfect movie, but a very interesting story. And I'd be curious. I, you know, I, I don't know if I can ask you to read a book, <laughs> but um, I'd just Probably be not. curious what the what the the book was like. But The Mist is pretty solid. It's not great, but it, it, it's. It's uh, it's really good, but yeah, the it, I think if you talk to a hundred people, most of them would say pretty much the same ten. Again, I'm a, probably in the minority a little bit. I know a lot of people love Carrie. Um, it would probably be at the bottom of of a top ten list for me, maybe somewhere between ten and fifteen. But like, I love Christine. I love Cujo. Stand by me. There's a great one on Netflix, Gerald's Game. Anyone that's listening, yeah. an, another underrated Stephen King story that I would recommend. Um, do you have anything else to say about our, our pal Stephen King before we uh, wrap this up, Don? Our pal. Work on your endings. And uh, <laughs> spe- speaking of not knowing how to wrap things up, and uh, hopefully one day I'll get around to finishing some of these books that I started to read. <laughs> <laughs> and we well, can have may- a part two. Maybe if uh, this podcast stick- sticks around, we might be able to do a John Carpenter episode. Ooh, already planning for next year. That's our Adam. Yeah, I like me some John Carpenter. And we won't talk about Halloween. We'll talk about everything post-Halloween because we've talked about <laughs> Halloween enough. We can't talk anymore. There's nothing else to say about Halloween. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much all I have to say. Uh, I appreciate you hanging out with me, Dodd, and talking uh, some Stephen King. There definitely are a, a lot of good movies, but I think the common thing that we both talked about is a lot of these good movies had good filmmakers behind them. Yeah. So you kind of get... I, would, I, I don't know enough about Stephen King. I think he's a good author, obviously. There's no way you could say he's bad. So I think if you get some good writing, some good characters, and you get a good director and a good screenwriter, you can make a really, really, really good movie because it's kind of like getting two voices 
in there because I think they're pretty like would you say to end, to end this Dodd even though Kubrick changed some stuff and obviously Rob Reiner directed a few of these do you think they were still pretty faithful to Stephen King's ideas and his concepts yeah yeah absolutely yeah. Not, not nothing ever changes I mean no no hedge animals come alive in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining and attack people but that's probably for the best so yeah. yes I think <laughs> everyone knows what to keep and, and what to get rid of right on well that's yeah i think that's that's awesome i think that's just a great collaborative effort and you get a lot of good stuff that way i don't have anything written down to end us i was thinking we could maybe say like get get busy living or get busy dying but i don't know if that works well you just said it so there it is (laughs) (laughs) are you gonna do it in morgan freeman's voice (laughs) that's the best morgan freeman i can do what about Carrie? Does Carrie say anything memorable at the end? I don't remember what her last words are. <laughs> I, uh, they're all going to laugh at you. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Dodd. Happy Halloween, everyone. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode and everyone goes out and gets lots of candy. <laughs> Happy Halloween, Adam. Look forward to next year. Yeah, buddy. See ya. Bye. Hey there. Remember that you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and many other options. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram as The Viewer's Cut. Bye-bye.